All right. Well, this is the beginning of our vision series, and I'm very excited about it, which is actually surprising to me because um, one of the purposes of what we're talking about for the next month is the fact that we need money for our new building. And um, I hate talking about money. I hate asking for money. Um, And in my experience with the church, too often it comes off feeling manipulative. And if I'm honest, um, sometimes is manipulative. And I feel like people have a tendency to feel abused and taken advantage of. And I didn't want that. And, uh, and so this series, I kind of went into hesitantly, um, but it's especially meaningful to me because one of the reasons we planted Open Table um, was to invite people, uh, any people and all people, especially those who had been beat up by the church. And so we knew that we would be reaching out to people who had maybe heard one too many offering messages and that those were the people we were trying to reach out to. And so we were trying to create a space where people like that could come and be invited to join but not pressured. And, uh, and this is what made this series fun for me because as the elders uh, discussed doing this series, um, we decided we needed to invite everybody to help with the rehab And as I prayed about how to do that, I felt like I needed to share our vision, to really share the vision of this church and what, why we planted Open Table Community Church. And, uh, and part of that vision was to never pressure people to give money. And so suddenly there was a tension that in order to ask for money, I felt like I had to share a vision, part of which was to not ask for money. And so at that point I was hooked. Um, so I knew immediately that this series would be a blast. So this is going to be quite a bit different than, than what we normally do. Um, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about us. Um, normally, I, uh, when we do a long study or a, even, even our short study on roof last year, I, didn't, I don't generally plan ahead a whole lot. I know where the study is going to go in terms of passages we're going to do, but I just kind of study them right along with everybody. I just kind of go through them week by week along with everybody. I, I don't have like a master plan I'm, and I'm trying to you know, steer everybody to this final big finale, you know, at the end of the series. Um, I just don't think that deeply. But um, but this series is different. We actually have this one laid out. This is four weeks, and we're building up to our special service on the 27th. On the 27th, we're going to ask everybody um, to give and to pledge to give. Um, We're going to build up, and we're going to do something special that night. We're asking God to basically, asking everybody to basically obey whatever God lays on your heart over the next month. And, and, and just that, only that. Um, and our precedent actually comes from Exodus 35. So this is kind of a long passage, but I felt like it was important to get it all. And so I invited my wife um, to read it for us because she reads so much better than I do. So the parallel is obvious. You have God's people. Um, you have a building project that required money. So Moses called on the people to give, and they all gave, and it was more than enough. Um, but there's another aspect of this story that um, I want to bring out in our study because I thought there was a cool irony in the narrative. Um, see, the people of Israel at this time were living in the wilderness. And, uh, and when they took this offering, um, they were staying in a barren land. And uh, this was not a season of planting and harvesting and profiting and plenty. This was a, uh, a season of living in wilderness. In fact, God was literally hand-feeding them every day. 
at this point of the story, the people every morning would go out and find manna laying on the ground. And they would just collect a day's worth of manna. And if you tried to collect more than a day's worth, it would, it would rot overnight. Um, so God was literally day by day providing for their needs. And when they got bored of manna, um, they cried out for variety and God sent quail into the camp every night, apparently so thick that you could just grab them or knock them down. I don't know how they caught them. I always used a 20-gauge, but whatever. Um, so I don't know how they caught the quail, but they had enough quail every night, probably nets. And uh, so they have manna in the morning, quail at night, and when they were thirsty, God would turn rocks into water fountains, and they would drink. And so at this part of the story, God is providing for their every need, and yet when it comes time to build a tabernacle, he calls on them to provide to do it. So it's kind of an interesting irony. God obviously has the ability, this is God, to rain the materials from heaven. He's raining manna from heaven every night. He's, he's bringing water from dry rocks to provide for everybody. And yet he asks the people to contribute to his work. And it, it creates this interesting kind of reciprocal relationship between God and his people where he is giving to them everything they need and asking them to give back to his service what he needs. He doesn't just rain the work of the ministry from heaven. And so, as I studied this passage in light of us, uh, building our little tabernacle, in case you didn't know, that's our building behind the words. Uh, We've actually cleared out the bushes on the front, which were completely overgrown, so Esther's got flower beds already planned and super excited about that, which sounds horrible to me, but whatever. Um, I realize that this story is more than just about building a work project. This is a story about provision. This is a story about how God provides. It's a story about how we provide for the ministry. It's a story that goes both ways. It's not just about an offering. It's about this relationship between God and his people. And so I want this dynamic in our month in our vision series for the month. And here's what I want to do. Over the next three weeks, as I'm unpacking our vision for us, um, I'm going to invite you to buy into that vision. But mostly I'm going to ask you to spend the month praying and asking God what your part's supposed to be. Ask him what your, uh, what your contribution is supposed to look like. But also I want you to think about what it looks like for God to provide for you. What is your manna? What is the thing that you need? What is the thing that, that, that you need God to come through and give you? So starting tonight, I want each of us to come up with a manna, with our manna. Talk about it as a family. Think about what do we need? What, and it doesn't have to be monetary, but it certainly can be. But what, what is the greatest, what is the thing that every morning when I wake up, I really need it? laying there for me. I need God to come through in this area. I need God to come through and help me with this one thing. What provision does your family need? What are you asking God for? And this isn't a Ferrari. I mean, God didn't drop steak au poivre on the camp every morning. This is manna. This is provision. You know, we're not asking God to to give us a, a new, you know, hot rod. This is give us this day our daily bread. We cry out for quail, we cry out for water, and he responds overwhelmingly. And so do we. When God asks us to give, we do too. 
So right out of the gates, be thinking about your manna. Look into it. Lock it in. Write it down somewhere. And over the next month, be praying over that. If you can narrow it down to a word or a phrase like, God, this is, this is what I need. Uh, and I'll tell you, if you'll give, God will do it. No, I'm not going to say that. That's not how. That's not, this isn't an investment. This is a relationship. This is you recognizing. And maybe, maybe as you pray over that, you're like, I have everything I need. God, is, God has my manna on the ground every morning. I'm, I'm all good. Okay. Okay. I went into warrior mode, man. I was going to be there for you. So over this next month, uh, as you're praying about God, how do I buy into this vision? What, what part do I play in this? Recognize the reciprocal aspect of that relationship, that God cares for you as you're caring for his work. And this isn't just a, a gift. It's a relationship. Now, as we get into our vision, let me start with our published vision statement. This was the very first language we put to Open Table Community Church um, a little over two years ago, and it reads like this. Open Table Community Church is a community organized by and around the Word of God to cooperate in the mission of God of furthering the kingdom of God. We accomplish this by gathering in worship together around a common teaching and a common table, by living in fidelity to Christ and one another, and by working together to bring reconciliation to the four relationships broken by sin in the fall. Who's ever read that before? Anybody ever gone on the website? Not many. Awesome. I'm glad I wrote that. Let's read that one more time. Open Table Community Church is a community organized by and around the Word of God to cooperate in the mission of God of furthering the kingdom of God. We accomplish this by gathering and worship together around a common teaching and a common table by living in fidelity to Christ and to one another, and by working together to bring reconciliation to the four relationships broken by sin in the fall. That's who we are to be. But before we can get into that, I want to unpack what it means uh, to live according to a vision. Anybody ever seen this, the vision circle? This is not original to me. Have you seen it, Russ? Have you? Good. Oh, I <laughs> I did show him, yeah. Uh, I got this from Simon Sinek. He's, uh, he does a lot of leadership stuff and whatnot. And, and so this is not actually mine. But, um, but they say that the best organizations, um, most of us know what we do. We know how we do it. But very few of us know why we do it. So most of us start on the outside and we move in. Most companies have a tendency to do this. Dell makes good computers. And, you know, back when... The MP3 players were first coming out. Dell was kind of on top. Anybody remember those ads? Dude, you bought a Dell. Anybody remember those ads back in the day? A little bit. Like they were just kind of the big computer company. And and Dell would say, we make great computers. That's their what? We do it by bringing together the best talent and the best materials. And then would you like to buy a computer from me? It just kind of stopped at that. Everybody knows that most companies, they can identify for you. Most organizations can identify for you what they do, how they do it. They're not great at why they do it. If they're honest, most of them do it to get a profit. And so if they were to pitch that, it wouldn't sell as well. And then you've got companies like Apple. And Apple is one of the easy examples because we all know how Apple works. And Apple uh, also makes computers. They also use the best talent and the best material. There's really nothing different. They're a computer company just like Dell. Except Apple 
doesn't do it that way. They could say we make great computers, beautifully designed, simple to use, user-friendly, you want to buy one. But Apple's never done that. Apple actually says everything we do, we want to challenge the norm. We want to bring true innovation and creativity. We do this by bringing together the best people and the best products. And, oh, yeah, we happen to sell computers. They've always started with the why. And so then comes an MP3 player. And they say, Apple says, everything we do, we challenge the norm. We bring true innovation and creativity. We do it by bringing the best people and the best materials. And we've made this cool MP3 player. And everybody bought it because they had already bought into Apple's why. Did you know Dell made an MP3 player within months of the release of the first iPod? Nobody bought it because they went, you're a computer company. You've sold us on your what. You've sold us on your how. But that makes you a computer company. Apple did it different. Apple sold everybody on their why. And so as as they began to put out, now we've got this amazing phone. Now we've got this amazing tablet. Now we've got this watch and this pen. And every time they come out with something new, people snatch it up. And, and never has anybody thought, why would I buy that from you? You're a computer company. Because they bought into Apple's why from the very beginning. And from the very beginning, when you open an Apple product, it's pack, like the packing is so amazing that it feels like you got something different. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. Why would you buy an MP3 player from a computer company? That's not what they do. Neurobiologists actually believe that our brain works the same way, that the, the part of the brain that we spend the most time giving credit to, the, the frontal cortex, the outer part of the brain, that has our language and our reasoning skills, we think that that's why we do things. We're convinced of something, and so we, we make ourselves do what's most logical. But neurobiologists are starting to prove that we have this inner part of our brain we call the limbic cortex, where all of our feelings are, and it has no language. It just has this emotional center to it. And neurobiologists believe that most of what we do comes from the limbic cortex, and then we come up with language to explain why we do what we do. But it starts with this kind of inner why, which is why somebody can make a great argument at times, and you're like, it just doesn't feel right. I just don't feel good about this. That's because they're coming at you from the outside in, and you've already got this inner inside conviction that you can't always explain. That's why when you have anxiety, has anybody ever tried to talk themselves out of anxiety, like reason themselves out of it? Like, I know everything's going to be fine. I know everything's We sit there and we try to rationalize, and... It doesn't work because language doesn't affect the limbic cortex. Things that affect the limbic cortex are like a hot bath and like a hot cup of tea, good sleep, exercise. Those are the things that improve the limbic cortex, and then you start to feel better, and you can actually rationalize why you do that. The, the, the vision circle is actually how we, we run our brain. So... <coughs> They say people will work for a what, but they'll die for a why. People will give their all when they know the why. When we ask why organizations fail, the standard, Apple, the standard answers are lack of capital, bad personnel, and poor market conditions. Those are like the things you always go to. We didn't have the capital to get started. We didn't have the right personnel, or the market just wasn't right. Anybody ever heard of Samuel Pierpont Langley? Most people haven't. He was hired by the defense, uh, by the uh, the Department of Defense, 
to make a uh, powered uh, vehicle for manned flight. He was given $50,000 to do it, which was a fortune at the time. He had the uh, every single person on his team. Uh, he had a seat at Harvard. He graduated Harvard and worked for the Smithsonian. The New York Times followed him everywhere, gave him all the press he needed. He had all the support, all the talent, and $50,000. The Wright brothers had a bicycle shop that was barely staying afloat. They used equipment from their bicycle shop. Not a single person had graduated college, including both Wright brothers. And they uh, had absolutely no press or, or uh, support. But they had a belief that they could fly. They had this core belief. And when you, whenever you read about them, everybody in their, on their team was giving blood, sweat, and tears and risking their lives to figure out how to fly. And because they had this core, deep down, why are we trying to do this, they succeeded. And the way you know Langley um, wasn't in it for the why, the second, the Wilbur, or Wilbur and who's the other one? Yeah. Um, the second they took flight, he quit. He packed it up because all he wanted was to be the first. He didn't really have any conviction to fly. He just wanted the, fly, the fame and the money. And so the second they flew for the first time, uh, Langley wrapped it up and went home and started a new project. They didn't have any of the things you're supposed to have to succeed. They didn't have the money. They didn't have the right most educated personnel, and they didn't have the right market conditions, and yet they flew. TiVo, TiVo is a great example of this. TiVo, it's just become a verb. Like that's when we, plenty of people who record shows on their cheap Time Warner cable DVR call it TiVoing. I'm going to TiVo the game or whatever. It's great product, and they sold it like a great product. Here's what we can do. We can record the game. We can take out your commercials. We can, we can do all these things for you. TiVo has never made any money. They opened at like 35 and immediately dropped, and they've never been at higher than six on the stock market. Like it's a financial failure because they went at it from look at what we can do for you. And then when someone else came along with the same what for cheaper, everybody went that way. They didn't come in and say, I can give you control of your television. Like if they had started with some, like some kind of deep why that people would have bought into, might have been a different story. Martin Luther King Jr. did not, he gave the I have a dream speech, not the I have a plan speech. People want to know your why. What is the core value that defines you? So tonight we're talking about what's our why. What is the core value that defines Open Table Community Church? And the answer is actually in the first half of our vision statement. Open Table Community Church is a community organized by and around the Word of God to cooperate in the mission of God of furthering the kingdom of God. In short, we're trying to create a kingdom community. That's who, that, that is the core of who we are, is a community. This is our vision. Why are we here? It's to build community. It's to build a people, to connect one another, to do life together. Our absolute first priority is to be a people together. A lot of people don't like this. Some people think, you know, your core, your your center of everything should be to glorify Jesus, to love God and love people. And, And that's absolutely true. 
for each and one, each, each one of us individually, I hope that is your, your personal why is to, is to glorify Jesus and love God and love people. But the reason we put this community together is to be a community of those kind of people. That's the center of everything we do is to be a people. The reason we function as open table is to do life together, to build a kingdom community. Esther and I met, dated, got married, and learned to do life in the context of a small group community. The, the group of us that did that over 20 years ago, we did life together. We, we, when, when someone needed something, everybody came running. When someone you know, had a prayer request, we just stopped and prayed together. Like we, we did life together. We ate our meals together and, and hung out together and had fun together. And we were truly connected. And Esther and I, for the next 20 years, have been trying to figure out how to do church that way, how to truly be connected as a body. And the churches we've attended have mostly been either mega churches or small churches that want to be mega churches. Like that's, that's pretty much what we've seen. And we've, we've spent our time all the while longing to be part of a people, not just an organization. Wanting to be part of a, a people. We pray every week that our kids would never know a day that they don't feel part of the people of God. And that's, that's our prayer for all of us. That we would never know a day that we don't feel connected to this group, to a people. That means that despite our theological differences, our different convictions, our different socioeconomic statuses, our different races someday, hopefully, our, uh, our different genders, that we would always feel like these are my people. This is, this is my group. This is my community. The very first thing that God said is not good happened before sin ever entered the narrative. It, God looked at Adam all by himself, sinless Adam, in a perfect environment with God, and God looked down at him and said, it's not good for you to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. That means if you lived the perfect life and had the perfect relationship with God and you did it all alone, that would not be good. That's why the Lord's Prayer that Jesus instructed us to pray says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we Forgive those who trespass against us. It doesn't say, my Father in heaven, give me this day my daily bread. The Lord's Prayer, the, 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 the foundation that Jesus gave us to build a prayer life starts with an hour. It starts with a community. He assumes we do prayer together. He assumes that we pray as a community. This life of faith is supposed to be a communal life. American culture is going the other direction. We have millions of invitations for community. We have coworkers. We have kids' sports teams, parents that we spend time with, social media followings, millions of other online communities. But according to every study, America is the loneliest people on the planet. My personal belief is that individualism is potentially America's greatest idol. We value. We like. We like. 
revere individualism, the rugged individualist. I can pick myself up by my own bootstraps. Like we, that's a, that's a God in America. We worship individualism and individualism is just flat out unbiblical. It just is. From the very beginning, you were never supposed to be alone. You were never supposed to just be an individual. You're supposed to be part of a people. We're created for community. Our, our first like staff type position was Brent and Steph starting and beginning our connections ministry. I asked them to daydream about ways to get us and keep us connected. And I told them that this ministry would undergird every other ministry in our church. When we talk about kids ministry, we're going to say, so how are we getting them connected? And we talk about youth, we're going to talk about how do we get and keep them connected. When we talk about new people coming into the church, we're going to ask, how do we get them and keep them connected? That this was going to be the center and core of everything we do is connection. So why does Open Table Community Church exist? Because it's not good to be alone. That's why we're here. Because it's not good to be alone. Now, most experts believe that culture is actually value-driven. That the creation of culture, atmosphere, and ethos, the way the, the space we live in, the way things are, is created by our why. By whatever, our, whatever we truly value is what will create the culture we live in, which is a little scary when you look at America because our culture is a little messed up, which makes you wonder what the why underneath it all is and what's wrong with it. But the best organizations, the best people, know how to truly identify the why that's driving their culture. We've all been to churches that have this well-worded vision statement, you know, whatever it is, but the, but the true why underneath we can sense is growth. Like that's the main why. We've got to grow bigger, faster, stronger. We've got to, you know, and that's what's really driving. And, and sometimes having a, this purpose in the church that's well articulated, we're here to glorify Jesus and love God and love people. And then when you can sense that the underlying why is actually to, get, to keep getting bigger and to grow in the organization, it can lead with this, this you know, uncomfortable, unspoken uh, frustration when we can, we can sense that the, the, the spoken value of the church is not the real value of the church. So the best organizations are the ones that know how to let their why, their true why, create their culture in a way that's honest. And this means the language we use to describe ourselves must line up with what we're actually doing. It means the activities we engage in must line up with our why. And it means the space we create within which to exist has to be driven by our why. And this last one is really important to us right now because we're currently creating our space that we want to exist in. So I guess for the rest of the time, what I hope to do is share with you what's going on in our building, what our plans are for a building, and mostly how that suits our why. Because some of the things we're doing are a little counterintuitive for typical church. And so I want to explain how those fit in. Um, But for tonight, the big thing I want to talk about is this wall. Because it's counterintuitive in our culture when you have a church that only seats 200 Chris's and 250 Esther's to to shrink that sanctuary, to lose some seating um, on your Sunday morning crowd. But... Because of our why, 
because our why is to create real community, to be a real people, to spend real time together. We felt like we needed more of a hangout space, like we needed more of a space to sit and talk and have a cup of coffee and and spend time together. And so what we actually did, I, I can't remember the order of my pictures. Yeah. First, and I did this after Dale drew this. So this door, which used to be the same size as this door and the door going in, we blew that completely out. Esther and Joy went down one day. They were supposed to be picking colors and stuff, and the next thing I knew they were giving me more uh, projects to do. But So we blew that door completely out, opened it up, so that's what it looks like now, um, which kind of ties this space together more. But right when you walk in will be the coffee setup. So we're thinking something like this against that wall. Um, and, and it's more than just, you know, coffee for Sunday mornings. We're envisioning having a Kerrig and a nice rack, you know, full of pods you can drop at any time. And, and so that during the week, if two people were thinking, you know, hey, let's get together, you know, and hang out or chat, it would be the kind of place that would be natural to go to and, and get a cup of coffee, sit down and chat with somebody or sit down and read or do a Bible study or whatever you've got. Our hopes are that people from the, from the community would, would figure out we're here and we're a decent place to meet and talk and, and chat in our foyer. So we want something super inviting. Your first, when you walk in the door, looks like almost like a coffee shop. You walk in, you see the coffee station, you know, uh, right off the bat. And then, so this is much bigger now, but we're picturing right, you know, almost sitting right here, a couple high top tables, like something you'd see at a coffee shop. And then back in these corners, more of a living room, casual, some chairs, a love seat or couch or something, coffee table, this serves a couple purposes. Number one, we're always going to invite, welcome, beg families with small children. We love kids. We believe that we can't do anything in the church if we're not grabbing a hold of kids. It's pointless. It's, it, it'll have an expiration date if we're not grabbing kids uh, and inspiring and getting them connected. So this creates a space. We've got some windows here, four by eight windows, um, where a family with kids, if their kids being a little rambunctious, they can go sit on the couches let their kids, you know, make a little bit more noise and, and not feel that weird pressure you feel when your kid's being noisy. And, and even if everybody is fine with it, you don't feel like they're fine with it. You feel like everybody's judging you for having a noisy kid. So he gives us a space where they can still be a part of the service, still see everything going on, um, but have a little more freedom with their kids. It also creates um, a casual space for us to hang out before church, after church. Like I say, have a cup of coffee, have a Bible study, meet somebody, Go and study and read, do whatever you want. And we're kind of, some of our pictures, some of the inspiration we have for that. Setups like this, everybody feeling that? I just feel like that'd be comfortable, right? When you walk in the door, it's got kind of a coffee shop feel, kind of the place that even if it's not church, you might want to hang out. And definitely before and after, it's a comfortable place to, to hang. Yeah, that's what we're going for. And then, on top of that, let me make sure I got everything. Uh, this over here. It's currently the nursing mother's room, parents' room. I think that's what she was going to call it, parents' room or something. And uh, we want that to be where what we're envisioning is something like this, the kind of space where two moms, if they want to get together and have a play date, you know, they might even think, let's go hang out at the church. It's a comfortable setting. You grab a coffee while you're upstairs. It's comfortable for a couple, three, four moms to sit and chat. The kids can play. It's got that door that connects to the nursery on the other side, so you can shut both outside doors. But we're, we're, we're definitely thinking more than just Sunday. Obviously, we want a place for moms to go on Sunday and nurse their babies or 
uh, rock them to sleep or whatever. But we're also thinking throughout the week, we want a space that's that's uh, comfortable enough and, you know, that a couple moms wouldn't mind getting together in that space, letting their kids play in the nursery. The nursery next door <clears throat> has a hat, one of those doors that splits in half, and you can shut the bottom half and lock your kids in the other room where they can't mess with you, but you can still peek in there if you want. Perfect. Have a couple coffees, sit and take it easy. So in every space, the reason I bring all this up is in every space we're trying to let our core why of building community drive the space. A what is a nursing mother's room. That's a what. A why is a nursing mother room where two moms can get together and build community, where they can get together and once a week have a play date, let the kids play in the nursery and while they have a, a, a comfortable space that doesn't feel like they're just sitting in a dungeon, you know, letting their kids play, they have a comfortable space to get together and drink coffee. And you notice coffee's at the center of this a lot. Another thing, we're actually going to talk about this in another couple of weeks, but when we bought the space, this wall here was actually uh, splitting this. This was two rooms, um, and we needed a bigger room for the preschool. They need a little more space, so we widened this. And this is going to be kind of a sacred space, a prayer space. We'll have journaling stuff in there and candles and a nice uh, spot to be alone and, and pray. And so, yeah, this will be our kind of our prayer room, our sacred space to sit and, and have some quiet space. Um, but this room was is our, on Sundays, will be our Cafe 56 room. It will also be kind of a hangout room for the youth group. Um, it will be set up like another living room set up, casual space. This is kind of the inspiration we've got going in there, kind of mid-century retro in that space for the for the young adults, teenagers, fifth and sixth grade kids. Again, letting our why, letting our community, our desire to build community um, drive our space. The other thing is, uh, and this was a big decision, we actually chewed on this for a long time, but the pews that were in the space um, are hideous. They're gold. You guys saw them. But they're, they're in perfect shape. They're sturdy. There's nothing wrong with them. When we first went through the building, we were like, you know what, there's just absolutely no reason to get rid of these. They're, they're in great shape. And then uh, as we spent some more time in the space and, and pulled them out and looked at the space, again, kind of letting our why drive our decisions, um, we decided to swap that out and go with chairs. And we're hoping to get a decent church chair. But honestly, we would go with a fairly crummy folding chair if we had to for a while because we just feel like, the versatility of this space to be able to do dinners, a banquet, you know, use it for other purposes other than just sanctuary because we're not a, we don't want to be a just sanctuary type church. We, we don't want everything we do to revolve around Sunday service. We want it to be a space that people could use. People could come throw a birthday party there. People could do, you know, that it would be a space that's versatile and usable and that we could, you know, especially when you got Dale and Esther in the same church, we're going to have banquets, we're going to have dinners. Also with our style upstairs, we're going with kind of a, kind of a, I don't know what you'd call it, millennial monastic style maybe. Um, this is going to be the back wall of our sanctuary. Um, so, so this wall, right now we have a slide on it, but I don't think we're going to put the, the slide there. We're not 100% sure yet, but this wall we want to do like this design on. Don't you think that would look cool? Kind of a wood wall in the back. And so, again, not going for the for the big mega church crazy stage lights where you can put designs on the wall and stuff. We want it to be a, a comfortable feel where even in our sanctuary it feels a little bit like a, 
the classy living room coffee shop. We also went with a, obviously they had, this stage was like three levels higher than that by the time you got to the back. We went with a low-level stage. We actually thought about going with no stage. I don't like necessarily standing on stage and feeling like I'm looking down at people. But we did feel like the stage created a little bit of separation for kids to not, a little easier. One of the problems we have here is that it's super natural flow for kids to come up and grab instruments and play and stuff. And so we figured a little bit of a stage made it a little easier to create a, hey, no kids on stage kind of a barrier. So I actually had to be convinced on that. I really wanted to be down on ground level, but they talked me into going with a stage on this. But, yeah, not a gigantic stage. We don't want a flashy stage. We want, you know, something comfortable and uh, and uh, and natural. Um, and this was the other thing driven by our why. Because in all honesty, at a, at a building like this, typical church, that, you know, the, the old kitchen used to kind of break off right here. Dale would argue, but that was enough. We could have put a, a sink and a, and a stove and a fridge in there. And, and, but it wouldn't have been us. It wouldn't have, been, it wouldn't have fit our why. It wouldn't have fit our, uh, our desire to, to do things that build community, to put on the kinds of events and to, to have the kind of uh, meals together. I mean, our name is Open Table, for crying out loud. We've got to have a good kitchen. And so we expanded our kitchen. It really didn't eat up much space. Uh, we wound up, and this is about a 20 by 12 kitchen. And like I said, you've got this back hallway. Uh, if you do a banquet upstairs, you know, you've got real easy access, you know, to, to bring things up and down the back. But we'll have a serving bar similar to what we, we have here. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it designed out real well. So we're super excited about the kitchen because... Like I say, we want this to be about building community. So throughout the rest of the series, I'm going to be explaining more of the space and, and especially how it affects our next week. We'll get into our how. Um, so we've talked about our why. And now we're, next week we'll talk about how we plan to uh, build community. And then the third week we're going to talk about our what, and that will be kind of the exciting one. It'll be That's going to be more the the – we're going to cast a vision for the future, where we see this going, what we, what we plan to do with this. And that'll be dreaming a little bit in the third week. So that'll be a lot of fun. But we're going to go through more of the space next week. We'll go through the kids' spaces as we talk about what we plan to do and explain more of what we're doing, some more design stuff that, that we're going to do in the rest of the spaces. And then on the 27th, we're going to, bring, we're going to have a special service. It'll be a little bit different. We're going to read a few passages. And we're going to worship, and we're going to bring our offerings uh, in the form of uh, money and in pledges. If I can give this much a month toward the building over the next year or whatever, like we're going to bring money and pledges and whatever God tells us. But we're also going to bring our manna to God. I I want it written on a paper. We're going to put it in something and pray over it that God would would meet our needs as we respond um, in giving to uh, to his kingdom. So how do we respond to this? Three things. First, start to pray. Even tonight, start to pray. What am I supposed to do? What, what part am I supposed to play in this? If you've never prayed a prayer like that before, awesome. It'll be fun. Even if, you're, even if your gut reaction is, I got nothing. I have nothing to do. Pray through it. And if, and if at the end of the day, God's like, this is not your season. Sit back. Then, then obey him. But it's, it's a, something about that prayer process is amazing. It's amazing to just go to God and go, you know everything I have. You know what's in my checking account. You know all my assets. You know everything about me. 
what can I do? And, and just let him speak to you. If you've, if you've never engaged in that kind of a process, it's a healthy, good process. Even if you feel like you don't have a penny to give, it's a healthy, good process to pray through and say, God, I recognize that this is yours. What do you want me to do? If you've prayed it but never really felt anything before, pray it again. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Let God do the rest. So starting tonight and, and talk about it as a family and talk about it, you know, amongst your friends and, and let God stir your heart and, and commit to pray over the next month. Number two, spend the next couple days, I would say, because I'd like to see everybody lock this down fairly quick. Um, next couple days, asking God, seeking God, looking at your life and deciding what your manna is. What do you need? Like, lock that down because I'd love to see you praying over that over the next month. Um, and if you'd like, you can share with me and I will pray with you. If, you, if it's private, then, like I say, put it in a sealed envelope. We're going to stick it in something. We're not going to open it. We're just going to pray over them together and ask God to provide for us. And this is not a steak dinner. This is not creme brulee and champagne. This is, this is our manna. This is our, God, I, I need this. And don't, don't even consider giving um, if, if, uh, if you don't feel in your gut that God is your provider. If, if you don't have that locked in, then don't give. I'm not trying to sell you a timeshare here. I'm not selling something. This is, this is about engaging God in that relationship, that provisional relationship. If, if you have in your guts that, that it's all God's and he's the provider, then, then you're ready to go, God, how do I respond? But if, if you don't have that part locked in, you're not ready to give. Don't, don't, uh, you work on that first. You work on knowing that God provides your manna, that he's the one who takes care of you and provides for you and gives to you. He's the center of everything you do um, because that has to come first. Our core value is to be a kingdom community. A reciprocal relationship with God means that he gives and we give. Third, spend this month paying for the church. We have some personnel needs. We have financial needs. We have uh, manpower needs to get the work done as quickly as possible. So commit over the, make yourself a note, send, set yourself a reminder on your phone to every day go off at the same time to just pray for the church. And it, even if it's not like a deep intercessory thing, I, I just feel like if every single one of us was, was calling the name Open Table Community Church before God every day, um, it's going to do a lot over the next month. So I'll take a minute, put it in your phone. Go ahead. No, you don't have to do it right this second. But for real, pray. Set yourself a reminder like I said, it doesn't have to be something deep and, and you know, crazy inspired. But, but say a prayer for the church every day over the next month. Uh, commit to do that. So start to pray, God, what do you want me to do? Lock in your manna, your, a, a word or a short phrase. God, here's, here's my needs. Here's what I need you to do for me. And number three, commit to pray for the church this month at least once a day. Say a prayer for Open Table Community Church.